Welcome to episode one of Screen Time, a weekly conversation about movies, TV, and whether starting this podcast is actually just a really bad idea. I'm Mike Sheets. I'm Adam Gates. On today's show, we'll be discussing what's coming to Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon in February, our top three directors, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, If Beale Street Could Talk, and our streaming picks for the week. Well, Adam, this podcast has been a long time coming. Yes, uh, yes it has, and uh, I have two, a theory. I have a theory the on making? why we're doing it. Yeah, two, two years, years in the in making. making. Okay. Well, is it two or three years? I don't know. We've been talking been, about it for a while. Maybe our whole lives, you could say. It's just Possibly. been leading to this moment. Yeah, I think it's a culmination of all our efforts uh, to watch as many movies as we can, just so we could talk about them on this podcast. Exactly. Now there's a purpose to it all. That's right. That's right. I do have a theory, though. What's your I theory? I have a theory that you got tired of me texting you about movies and TV shows, and you just wanted to you know, condense it down to one week, or one, one night a week, where we just talk about it and get it out of the way. You know, but I don't know if did you know that it would cause us to talk about them even more. I don't know if I got tired of it as much as my wife Rachel got tired of it. Valid, you valid. know, just all times through, throughout the night. Yeah, I'm looking Dinner at my table. phone. Oh, oh, who's texting? Oh, is that Adam? Yeah, it's Adam. How surprising! And now we don't talk as much about movies uh, while we're texting because we have to save all those conversations. Right, now. right. We're just texting about. The show, so the logistics of making a right. podcast, yeah, yeah. right. Less so fun, it, but <laughs> yeah, it leads to this, which is fun. So we've been friends a long time. We kind of grew up together, I guess you could say. Um, same circles, uh, had same friends, right? Cousins. So what, when would you say our relationship kind of, you know, formed or blossomed? Yeah. So I, I remember a specific instance uh, where I, uh, I used to write notes to you on, on church uh, envelopes, tithing envelopes. Right. And I would, write, I would write down ideas for movies, and I would pass them over, and then you'd, you'd give the, you know, the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Because you were at this time like writing, I don't know if you were writing scripts or I was writing just yeah, ideas. Scripts, short, short movies and a long movie, uh, a really ill-fated attempt at, at a, a World War II uh, right, war movie. So I remember, I remember specifically two movies that I don't know if you actually wrote scripts for, but we definitely talked about the ideas. One was, I believe it was a Call of Duty, mm-hmm. which was yes. uh, prior to the hit video game franchise. Yes, that was your idea. That was all you, me. You had it first. I wrote that whole script, a full movie <laughs> script, like 150 pages, wow. <laughs> as a, as an eighth grader. I'll have to read that sometime. And yeah, we'll, we'll find it. We'll, we'll, we'll put it out it. there. Everybody can read it. Well, yeah, that'll and be pretty rough. The other one I remember, which was my favorite, and the one that I actually titled uh, was "Hey, Give Me Back My Water," <laughs> which was a story right. of some farmers and a battle over water. I, I water, guess I don't yeah. really remember. It was an agrarian society that uh, was was short on water, and they, I, I don't and, remember the full idea, but yeah, there was there was a problem with water, and they fought over it, and. I, yeah. I don't know how I came up with that idea in, in eighth grade or ninth grade or whatever it was. I don't even know when it was. but I remember that there was actually a piece of paper. I don't know if it was the script or not, but like it was my handwriting who actually wrote the yeah. title. It's, hey, a, give me back it's a pink my envelope. Yeah. Okay. It's a great title. I, yeah, great title. <laughs> it should be a movie title. Hey, give me back yeah. my water. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we, so we watched a lot of movies together. I feel like Anchorman was kind of an important movie probably in our relationship and in our uh group of friends 
Um, we watched a lot of Laguna Beach together. If you a lot of Laguna that. Beach. I specifically recall a, a, a long evening in your basement. Oh, yeah. Watching the full D- – it was DVDs at the time because they right. didn't have – it wasn't streaming. But, yeah, we watched the whole – I think we watched the whole season one. Yeah. Well, we actually we actually watched the entire first season on two different occasions. <laughs> one was the time you're thinking of at, at my house. Yeah. And there was a big group of people. And then we actually did it again later at your house. Yeah. When it, oh, when wasn't we did that season two? No, no. Was it was season two. one again. I mean, really? that, was, that was the... The L.C. Steven season, yeah, which yeah, was, was yeah. the best. Aren't they all, though? Aren't they all? That, that's true. So <laughs> what I remember is that when we watched it at my house, it was that was the plan. We, we all said, hey, we're going to do this. Yeah. Let's all come over, and we're going to watch this first season. Yeah. And then at your, at your house, it just kind of happened naturally. Like, yeah, we didn't – it wasn't the plan. It just sort of – it just sort of happened. Yeah. And Why? I don't, I don't know. Uh, it just know, did. Maybe – I don't know, but that that probably goes down as one of the you know greatest first seasons of television <laughs> ever. You have Laguna Beach, you have Homeland, you know the OC. I never saw the OC. But oh, you never watched the OC? Yeah, that was a, that was a big one back in the day. But, Similar uh, to Laguna Beach. Yeah. So those those two definitely. Um, yeah. So let's see. So we came up with the. The name Screen Time First, like all good forms of art, that was the the first idea. Uh, kind of like when Jerry Seinfeld came up with the idea for B Movie, he just came up with the title B Movie and thought, "Hey, this will be a would be funny for a movie about bees," and that was the inception of that. <laughs> um, and we both That's have pretty funny. We both have young kids. Yep. I have two boys, six and three. Um, I have a daughter and a and a son, five and three. So yeah, and very so similar. Sc- screen time is just a constant topic of conversation in my house. Uh, my kids always want screen time; they're not getting enough of it. And I'm always telling them, you know, that's enough screen time. That's enough. And for me, like I'm always trying to find more screen time for myself, which is very hard to do. Yeah, I feel um, sometimes it's it's very it's I'm I'm hip- hypocritical. Because I'm sitting there on my phone telling my kid to not be on the iPad. Exactly. And that's just, I mean, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So what are your your kids watching? Uh, So Lawton, he's not into it quite yet. If he watches stuff on YouTube, it's whatever, or the iPad, it's whatever Amelie's watching usually. Uh, But Amelie has been into this phenomenon on, on YouTube uh, where th- it's just kids playing with slime. Uh, the, you know, it's kind of like that old, I think we used to call it Gak. Do okay. you remember that? Gak? I do remember Gak, yeah. Well, it's called Slime now, and she just watches this one family do play they with make, slime. Do they make, they make the slime? It, yeah, they make all different kinds of slime, bubble slime. I mean, they got all kinds of stuff. And they have like 3 million subscribers on YouTube, it's and it's just girls playing with slime. It's funny. And she my, just laughs at it. My only... Like my memories of slime, we had Double Dare. Did you watch Double Dare? That oh was yeah, a, slime was a big component. Yeah, and then I also had a Ninja Turtle toy that I got as a birthday gift. That was basically a contraption where you would put a Ninja Turtle, you know, in this thing, and then you would pour slime on top of the oh, turtle. Oh man, I forgot and about that. 
my parents kept a very clean house, so the only place where I was allowed to play with this toy, which I only played with once, I believe, with the slime, was in the bathroom. Yeah. So I'm I'm hunched over my bathroom sink, you know, <laughs> trying to play with this toy, and I, you know, I'm probably wearing a poncho and rain boots to try to, you know, keep myself Mit- clean. Mitigate and, the loss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, that was a that was a fun game. Wow. Yeah. Just playing, Sounds playing like in it. the bathroom. Just got to do um, it one time though. Yeah, it was great. It's a one-time I, only. It yeah. was such such a great memory. <laughs> so let's uh, let's move on to our first segment. Uh, we're going to do a streaming service preview, um, talking about what's coming out on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon in February. There are so many shows out and movies that come out every month. Nobody can keep track of them. Yeah. So we kind of thought this would be a good way to kind of talk about <clears throat> some things that people should pay attention to. I've handpicked eight different shows or movies that are at the very least intriguing. I don't know that they're all going to be good, but they've, they're all at least uh, worth paying attention to. Right. And to add a little twist to this, we're going to play a game called in or out where Adam is going to, I'm going to make a pitch, I guess for these shows or movies and Adam's going to say whether he's in on this show or he's out. Yeah. And if you're thinking in or out sounds a little bit unoriginal, and that's because Adam rejected my initial idea for this, which was stream or scream. Yes. Yeah. Just rejected perfect. that. On the flip side, you also rejected my idea of yup or nope. Yeah. Yup. Nope. <laughs> we could that's still go back would- to that. Yeah, we could go back to that. My other idea was binge Still on the or table. binge or bolt. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I don't believe I even responded to that. We one. just have so many good ideas that it's it's yeah. hard to narrow them down. Hard to pick just one. Right. Yeah. So right now we're going with with in or out. So Adam, the first show we have is called Russian Doll. It's on Netflix. Comes out February first. Eight episodes, all thirty minutes. Uh, this stars Natasha Leone. You may know her from Orange is the New Black. It's produced by Amy Poehler. And the general premise of this show is it's kind of a Groundhog Day meets... I never saw Happy Death Day, but it's the same type of idea, Edge of Tomorrow, where the main character dies repeatedly, and then she gets sent back to kind of relive and try to do things differently. Um, the trailer is actually very clever. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, yeah. but... She dies, yeah, and, and they keep running the Netflix at you know ad at the beginning. Um, it's getting some some early buzz. Reviews are positive. Um, Alan Suppenwall, a TV critic that I follow very closely, he called it spectacular. Really? Wow, Seppenwall. Yes. Yeah. Wow. You um, are into Seppenwall. I'm into. And it, it, so it's Seppenwall. It's Seppenwall. Not Seppenwall. No. I always read it as Seppenwall. Yep. You've been wrong. I've been wrong. So I've heard it's. It's kind of hard to get the tone, but it seems like it's funny, but also maybe has some dramatic elements. Yeah. I mean, Amy um, Poehler's involved, so I would imagine it has some comedic elements. Right. Uh, and the main character, the what, what was her name again? Nata- uh, Natasha Leone. Yeah. So she's funny. Uh, she was in, like, American Pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's been around for the comedy game for a while. Yeah, I watched the trailer. Um, the You know, this type of show or movie, is it's been done. So I don't know if, if they have something new they're bringing to it that's going to be different than Groundhog's Day and all these other ones. So, uh, I'm, But to I mean, be I'm, fair, Groundhog Day is a great movie. Yeah, sure. Edge of Tomorrow, which yeah, is a similar premise, uh, that's a very underrated sci-fi movie. 
Yeah, underrated Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. It's really good, Emily Blunt. So, you know, the shows, it's, I feel like it's been done, but that's not to say they can't do it well. So I, I, I'm kind of in the middle on this one. I'm going to go like a maybe. Like a probably, a pro- I'll probably check it out. Yeah, I'll probably check it out. At least the first episode. So the too. game is called In or Out. Adam says probably. Pro- probably. We're off to a great start. Probably, uh, probably in. Okay. My, my only hang-up is that I'm not a big Natasha Leone fan. Yeah. Um, but honestly, the reviews have been so strong. That'll help. And sway, honestly, yeah. the, the fact that it's 30 minutes, eight episodes, that's very appealing. Oh, man, that's, yeah, um, that's very appealing, yeah. So the next one we have is Velvet Buzzsaw. This is coming to Netflix on February 1st. Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, Tony Collette, John Malkovich. This is directed by Dan Gilroy, who also directed Nightcrawler with uh, Gyllenhaal a few years ago. This it's a good movie. It's, 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 good pre- movie. it's a that's a very good movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, made its premiere at Sundance this week. The synopsis for this is: After a series of paintings by an unknown artist are discovered, a supernatural force enacts revenge on those who have allowed their greed to get in the way of art. Yeah, and you know that tra- I watched the trailer, and that doesn't even. I, I feel like that's very removed from that that description of the show. It's like I don't. If you watch, I don't know what to think of it. Yeah, the trailer is crazy. I've heard it. Described I'm surprised as, you're even into it because it looks more like horror type, well, type stuff. I'm not saying I am into it. Ah, but you'll check it out. Well, okay, I, maybe I will be playing in or out on all of these as well. <laughs> I'm just trying to – these are shows that have piqued my interest. I'm not yeah. going to watch all of them. I mean, who has the time, honestly? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's a new Netflix movie, Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean – I'm in on this. I'll go ahead and say I'm I'm in. I want to so see So you're it. in. I'm in. I want to see – especially the fact that it is the guy from Nightcrawler. Yeah. I think lends it a little bit more than, than I would if not. And that trailer just – I mean, it's so nuts that I want to know – I just want to know what's going on there, and it's a movie, which is not a big. That's not a big as big of a commitment as like a, you know, a ten episode, forty to to an hour minute drama. So, so I've heard this I'm described in. as mystery horror and also a dark comedy. So mm. I'm really not sure what to expect. The whole supernatural element scares me a little bit, but I, I think I'm actually going to be out on this. But ah. I'm I'm still intrigued. Okay. All right, moving on. High Flying Bird, Netflix, February 8th, directed by Steven Soderbergh, shot entirely on his iPhone. It's kind of his new thing. This also premiered at Sundance this week. Uh, This stars Andre Holland, who you may know him from The Nick, which was on Cinemax for a couple seasons, and also Castle Rock. He's in Um, Moonlight as well. Okay, yeah, Moonlight. Barry James and the movie. synopsis here is Andre Holland's character plays a sports agent during an NBA lockout, and he presents his rookie client with an intriguing and controversial business opportunity. I know which I, way you're going to go, but Adam, are you yeah. in or out on this movie? I am in. I am in on this movie. You love Steven Soderbergh. I love me some Soderbergh. And you love things shot on iPhones. Uh, I'm I'm indifferent on things on iPhones. I don't have anything against being it being shot on an iPhone. Much, I feel like you do, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that. Yeah, I'm in on this. The, again, the trailer is is good. It, it it makes it look a lot more interesting than than the description even makes it sound. So I'm in. Yeah, I'm in too. Steven Soderbergh. I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, um, 
but he's he's made he's definitely made his fair share of good movies and this looks like an interesting project. I'm in. Did you see um what his last movie? Logan Lucky? I did. Well, yeah, I like that. Unsane was his last movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Logan Lucky, yeah, Logan I, Lucky. I actually uh I like that movie quite a bit. I thought it was kind of underrated like yeah. it kind of came and went, but Yeah, it did. It's really it's, funny though. It's no it's no Ocean's Eleven, but it's another heist movie. But it's, um, yeah, it's great clever. It's it. funny. Daniel it's got uh, great performances. So yeah, that's a that's a good one to check out if you haven't seen seen it. Yeah. Um, next we have Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. This is a movie on Amazon on February eighth, uh, directed by Gus Van Sant, who also directed Goodwill Hunting. Starring Joaquin Phoenix, Jonah Hill, Rooney Mara, Jack Black. The synopsis is based on a true story. It follows John Callahan, a recently paralyzed alcoholic who finds a passion for drawing off-color newspaper cartoons. Now, this was a 2018 Sundance movie, um, and it currently has a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 76 and an audience score of 74. Real quick, what's your feeling on the whole... Rotten Tomatoes audience versus critic. Which side do you tend to? I'm going to lean heavily towards critic. Uh, yeah. I don't. I, you know, the audience one. You'll see. You'll you'll see movies that are totally bogus getting you know 85 percent on on the audience score. So I'm yeah I'm not I'm not really not really concerned with that. Unless so it's I, like a if it's I should say if it's like a comedy or like a genre another genre yeah. movie where it's not supposed to be good necessarily. Yeah. I'll probably, you know, I'll 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 check that out, but mostly I'm going to go with the critics just cuz I, I trust the critical community better than I trust, uh, you know, a bunch of people going to the movies. Yeah, so I had uh, a conversation. I also lean towards the critic side. I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently. Um he asked me, this was I guess a couple months ago now, but he said, "Hey Mike, do you want to go see Venom opening night?" And I said, "No, I don't." <laughs> I've, I've heard I've heard it's terrible, and he he says I've heard it's awesome. You know I've heard I've heard everybody says it's great, and so we kind of stopped the conversation. Weeks later, we have the same talk, and he's like, you know, you want to see this sometime? And I'm just like, John, I just I keep seeing that every everything I see about this is bad, and he says like everything I see is that it's great. And we're just like, what is happening? Where are you getting this information? We're both looking. It turns out we're both looking at Rotten Tomatoes, but I'm looking at the critic side, which is like 15%, and he's looking at the audience side, which is like 85 Yeah, so exactly. You, you exactly. got to know which, which side you're looking on. But don't yep. worry. He won't get far in foot. Adam, are you in or out? I, I think I might be out on this one. You're, you're I a big uh, – I feel like you're a big Joaquin Phoenix guy. I am. And I'm I a am. big Jonah Hill guy. And I, I you know, honestly, I'll, I'll, I was in. I think I was in before we started talking about it. But now that I'm just thinking about the movie and the trailer, I don't know. Just I don't. It doesn't seem as in, as appealing. Yeah. As as maybe like you know, it's Gus Van Sant. He made some great movies, but I feel like he hasn't made a good one in a while. And maybe that's. Maybe that's wrong. I just don't know. I, I maybe I don't, I, he has to get my trust back. So maybe, maybe this is the movie that can do it. Okay, but I think I, I don't. I is... haven't heard anything about it, so I just don't know what to. I, and that then again, I haven't really looked into it that much. So maybe I'll you know see what other other people are saying. If you see it, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, this isn't one I'm going to go out of my way to see, but right, you know, 
I'm, I'm not. It's on Prime. It you know, it's on Prime. It's free. Yep. February 8th. Next, The Umbrella Academy on Netflix, February 15th. This is based on a comic book written by Gerard Way. You may know him as the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. So maybe you're in or out already based on that. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you watch this trailer, but the beginning of this trailer, here's what it says. It says, in October 1989, 43 women around the world gave birth, and none of these women were pregnant when the day first began. Mm-hmm. Pretty intriguing story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what that makes me think of is there is a a friends episode where Joey walks in and he's he just got this part in a movie and he's excited and he's telling his friends, you know, about the movie. And the premise of the movie is that he plays this guy who meets this girl on a subway and they fall in love in like one day. And then after that she disappears. He doesn't know where she went. Eventually, he tracks he tracks down where she lives. He goes to her house, knocks on the door, and an old lady answers. And he says, where's Betsy? And the old lady says, Betsy's been dead for 10 years. <laughs> and that's what that makes me think of. <laughs> I've never seen this, that one. I have been working on my old lady impression. Yeah, that was I think great. I, I think I nailed, nailed it. Nailed it. Um, so umbrella Academy. Out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm out. Sorry. I, I, I'm just, not even... I can't, get, I can't get it out. I'm, I'm out. You're, you're out. Okay. <laughs> I will, I will finish the synopsis. It stars Ellen page set in 1977 in a world where JFK was never assassinated, follows a dysfunctional family of superheroes. I get kind of an X-Men vibe from it. Definitely. Um, I don't think I'm interested in this, but I, I bring it up just because people love superheroes Netflix, it seems like a show that could make a splash. Yeah. I think, I think it both. could take off with a certain crowd. You know, like that that Sabrina show is, is very popular. The Haunting of Hill House is popular. Marvel is always popular. So it could definitely blow up uh, with a certain demographic, I think. Or, you know, maybe it'll just get lost in the, in the Netflix queue. I don't know. But, yeah, it's... I wouldn't be surprised if it took off and a lot of people watched it. I feel like I haven't gotten you in on many things yet, but here's the next one. The Sisters Brothers coming to Hulu on February 18th. This came out last year. Uh, it's a Western starring Joaquin Phoenix, John C. Riley, Jake Gyllenhaal, Riz Ahmed, who you may know from A Night Of on HBO. The synopsis is Phoenix and Riley play two notorious assassins who are trying to hunt down a gold prospector. Named Gus Chiggins. <laughs> Gus <not> Chiggins. <laughs> that's not true, but it, it is a gold prospector. <laughs> that, that's an old. If you're not familiar, that's an old uh, uh, SNL skit with Will Ferrell playing an old prospector. It's an all-time classic. I think it's, it is actually classic. never aired. I think it's just on the DVD. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's an extra one because they yeah. did, they didn't have time. Yeah, I don't think it ever aired. But this has an 85 percent critic score on Rotten Tomato, 66 audience. Adam, are you in on the Sisters Brothers? I'm in. I'm in on the Sisters Brothers. I'm really in on this. I'm excited. Yeah. This was I didn't know came... it was going to be coming out uh, on Net- or on Hulu um, at all. So, yeah, yeah it's exciting. That's, that's why we're doing this segment. Adam. Exactly. That's why we're here. So this was when I was, yeah, I was, I actually wanted to see it in the theater. Um, mm-hmm. But this is just a great cast. And I like Westerns. And 
Yeah. All right. Joaquin Phoenix. Another Joaquin Phoenix. I'm, I'm, right. I'm in on this one. Okay. You're in on this one. Yep. This next one is one I'm super in on, and I it's probably going to be the one that most people aren't, but it's called Paddleton. It comes to Netflix on February 2nd. It's directed by Alex Lehman, who directed another movie that most people haven't heard of called Blue Jay, which was one of my favorite movies of 2016, starring Mark, du- Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson. Just a great, small, lovely movie. Uh, Mark Duplass co-wrote this. Uh, he's in it with Ray Romano. The synopsis is that an unlikely bromance between two misfit neighbors becomes an unexpectedly emotional journey when one of them is diagnosed with terminal cancer. Suddenly facing their their mortality, the two friends who spend their free time playing a game they made up called Paddleton decide to go on a trip. I mean, how good does that sound? I mean, just how good? Adam, are you in or out on Paddleton? I'm all the way in. I'm out. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, the game looks cool I, I like that they made up a game uh, th- this seems definitely right up your alley for sure yeah. uh, and it looks like the type of alley that I'd walk by kind of shrug and just keep walking <laughs> did you like Blue you like Blue Jay right did you I, ever so I didn't it? get through I didn't get through it I wa- we started yeah. watching it one time yeah uh, and then Jana my wife was watching with, with me and she fell asleep and I think I was just like yeah, I'm gonna watch you know something else it's not a bad movie. I, I don't dislike these movies. I don't dislike the like that whole, you know, this seems like a an offshoot of the Mumble or not. Is it Mumblecore? Yeah. The like the puffy chair type movie. Yeah. Um it seems like an offshoot of that. I don't have anything against them. Uh they're just not super like intriguing to me for some reason. I don't know why. It's the, it's maybe it's the sentimentality of it which I I don't know. They just never seem to grab me. And I maybe that's because that, I haven't given a, a good enough that's true. chance. I maybe you know maybe I just and need this, to dig this in. This may be the it. one. Yeah, maybe. I will say that Ray Romano has kind of made a big comeback. Like he was great in yeah. The Big Sick, a movie I loved. He was really great in Parenthood. Um, he was in that he, HBO show uh, Vinyl. Was, Vinyl. Yeah, he was in that. He was good in that too. Yeah, it wasn't a great show, but he was no. he was good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Netflix, February twenty second. Check it out. The final one, this is a movie I've actually seen already, Three Identical Strangers coming to Hulu on February 26th. This is a documentary about three young men who are all adopted and they find out, find out they are triplets. 96% on Rotten Tomatoes for critics, 89 for the audience. Adam, are you in on this? I'm in, yeah. I think this looks interesting. And uh, it's gotten a lot of good buzz, like you said, both audience and critics whenever they whenever you have a movie on there that has two good scores uh it's worth checking out so yeah i'll, I'll definitely hit it up on uh what, end of february right yep and i will say this was actually one of my favorite movies from last year and like the first 15 or 20 minutes of this movie are probably one of the most riveting 15 or 20 minutes i saw all year which oh, wow. for a for a documentary like is really saying, saying something. That is. Um, so that's definitely one we're checking out. Adam, it's time for our top three. Explain the top three, Adam. So we've. Uh, I don't. I don't remember why we started doing this, but we. I think were, we were bored. We're bored at work, or just in, on the weekends, or wh- whatever it was. Yeah. And we just decided to, you know, with I, one of us threw out probably you, like you know, what's what's your top three, top three chips. 
right or 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 what what have you uh, and then it just became a thing where every day we'd have a new top 3 we'd alternate right and who would and, pick the topic uh, then you you know we'd spend a little bit of time discussing it why we're choosing the top 3 and then we'd we'd finalize our top 3 so we had i mean we had we had a, a google doc that where it was well it over 100 it was over 100 yeah and it was, yes. ranged from all kinds of topics you know you could yeah. have chips you could have uh sodas in in Mike Sheets's uh, parents' basement, right? Because uh, there was a, a, a soda fridge. It's kind of a running joke. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it could be anything. And, and mo- I mean, at least half of them, I would say, were movies or TV related, which is what this show will be. In theory, I mean, I guess if the fans want it, you know, we can delve into um, fast food burgers and yeah. chips, like you said. Um, Chip time. Yeah, chip time. <laughs> I mean, we could just go 45 minutes next week on, like, Doritos versus Sun Chips. And yeah. That's I'm down. Show. I'm yeah. down. That's a show. You got a show. So we've right got there. a show. That one's set. Yep. Um, so our top three this week is top three directors. We thought this would give people, for our first episode, just kind of a broad idea of the type of movies we like so they can kind of know what our tastes are. Um, we're going to go back and forth, counting down three to one. Adam, what's your uh, number three director? Number three. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of good directors that I had to leave off this list, which I wasn't happy about. But that's the nature of the top three. It forces that's how you. It works. It's a constant. It's like an espresso shot of of, of your of your taste. You got to just get it all in there in, in three. Uh, so my I missed out on Paul Thomas Anderson. Wes Anderson, David Fincher, they're not in the top three, but I'll, I love them all. Top three uh, starts with Christopher Nolan at number three. And uh, he's, just, he's just, his catalog of movies is so great that um, I, I can't deny it. Um, I have, whenever we started this uh, top three for the directors, I had three criteria that I wanted to meet. Okay. How, how good is the filmography? What's the potential for future growth and greatness? So we're still alive. we're thinking long term. We're, yeah, we're thinking long term. The future here. Okay, exactly. I didn't know that, but it's good to know that that's part of what we're doing here. Yeah, predicting uh, the future. Exactly. And how excited do I get when I hear they have a new new movie coming out? So okay. obviously, I mean, I can't. And with that criteria, I'm not going to be able to have Hitchcock. But you know, Hitchcock's great. <laughs> but uh, he's not going to be in my top three. There's no uh, long term potential left. There's no long term. I don't. Yeah, think. he's he's yeah, yeah. So Christopher Nolan, he's just made massive movies and. Still able to bring an artistic touch to him and a twist usually to every movie that he's just he, he's I don't know he's just great he's made great movies and uh, I'm excited to see what he does the, the rest so, of his career. Christopher Nolan is my number two. Um, yeah, if you look at his filmography, it's just it's just incredible. I think um, Insomnia is probably his worst movie. And that's still a really good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Um, for me, Memento was the one. This is the the his his. If you don't count Following, which was not a major release, this was his first major release. Um, the entire movie was backwards, and this was a film that just made a big impression on me when I was. I, I think I was in high school when it came out, mm-hmm. and I was kind of forming. You know, the kind of movies I liked. My my taste was maturing, I guess, and I remember this movie just kind of blew me away just the format and i'd never seen anything like it before 
Um, it's an I incredible remember, feat of storytelling. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. incredible. And I remember saying, telling my parents, I'm like, you've got to see this movie. Like, this movie's incredible. And they watched it, and it just... It didn't click for them at all, and they and from that point forward, they kind of tagged me as like, "Oh, Mike has weird taste in movies, and he's you know, oh this that's one of the weird ones that Mike likes." And um, but the weird ones that, are the best ones, though. The yeah, weird ones yeah. are the good ones. So Memento, that movie, uh, that was a big deal to me. Uh, he did just kind of run through the rest of his filmography. Uh, Memento, Insomnia. He did the Dark Knight trilogy. The Prestige, which is probably my favorite of his, Inception, Interstellar, and his latest was Dunkirk. Um, yeah, I mean, the Dark Knight trilogy, like, as good as the Marvel stuff is now, I mean, those movies were just on a different level. I mean, when they, a few years back, when they changed the the best picture um, in the Oscars from five nominees to potentially ten, like the Dark Knight was the reason for that because the Dark Knight did not get a nomination and people thought it should have, so they expanded the category to hopefully get more movies like this to have a chance. And that's you know honestly that like Black Panther is doing that this year, right? If there were only five nominees, the chances of Black Panther getting in are probably not that good. Yeah, um, definitely paved the way. Yeah, and Heath Ledger too, like just bringing like top notch quality performances. To a movie that most people don't equate with, with acting, it's more about action, uh, but it's it's important too, and and yeah, it changed the game for sure. He changed changed movies if you think about it, um, just because those were some of the biggest movies you know in the past decade or two, and changed the way we look at at superhero movies and action movies. Did you see they they announced that Nolan's next movie is coming next summer in mm. July? No, I didn't yeah. know this. Yeah, they actually released the release date. I can't remember. Maybe it's sometime in July 2020. Uh, they've not announced anything other than the date, and they said it's going to be an event. But, of course, wow. it is because that's no No plot or anything? Does. We don't know what it's no, about? Nothing. Well, I'm going to see it. But it's already probably my most anticipated movie of 2020. <laughs> so and we don't even know what it's about. We don't even know, and I don't care. So he's my number two. Going back to my number three, it's Damien Chazelle. And the knock against him is his track record is just very small. He's made three movies, but I just could not leave him off the list. Um, three movies, and he is he has not missed yet. Uh, Whiplash was just an incredible debut. And I'm not a musical guy, but... But La La Land, and you know this was you. You I mean, love musicals. I love La La Land. <laughs> I, it's probably my favorite movie of the past few years, and also my favorite ending of the last few years. Um, I know the ending has been kind of divisive. I've talked to people who some love it, and some think that it kind of not ruined the movie, but it just wasn't what they wanted. Mm. But. That I, that's weird. Some, I because I yeah I liked the, the ending too. I didn't even know there was really a, a backlash against it. It's just the most perfect ending. Yeah, um, First Man and, was great too. Like you know the, his third movie. I, I yeah, I mean, it's a great movie. I feel like you know you had uh, he's, I don't know, he's got this relationship with Ryan Gosling now 
that I hope a relationship that I wish I had. Yeah, well, of course. I I will say that (laughs) one one thing that my wife and I like one of the reasons we're so compatible is that we both have the same crush, and it's on Ryan Gosling. Yeah, is that is that that's both of your guys's like he's on your list. Yeah, you know you you have like the. Oh yeah. yeah, he tops the list. He tops the list on both of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and uh <laughs> so for first man is probably my my least favorite of his three, but I just rewatched this and we're I will we're gonna talk about this more next week when we when we uh count down our top ten movies of twenty eighteen. But I think a case can actually be made that this that first man is Chazelle's like most impressive achievement out of any of his movies. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so good. Um, so whiplash and La La Land, they both were my number one movies of the year when they came out. Um, we're going to have to wait for until next week to find out where first man ranks, but it TBD, is, it is going to be high. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I so would expect Chazelle nothing is, less. Chazelle is my third. Adam, who is your second? Second is Quentin Tarantino. And uh, that's probably no surprise. Uh, I just love his movies. All he makes good movies. Adam. Every single movie is great. Uh, he's probably you know in terms of uh, we we both sheets and I are on a on a site called Letterboxd uh, that allows us to rate and keep track of our movie watching, um, you know, experiences. And right. I think Quentin Tarantino has. How many does he have? How many five stars? We, you can rate on a one to, or half a star to five star rating. And at least half of Tarantino's oh, yeah. movies are five stars. Maybe more. I, almost all of them are. Maybe so, Jackie Brown's not. I'll, I'll read off it's his a, movies for people who are unaw- unaware. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and The Hateful Eight. Yeah. I mean, that is just an incredible list. Quentin Tarantino, actually, I guess I will say, he is my number one favorite director. Yeah. Um, I mean, that list, it's like Nolan's where you just read the list and it's like, yeah, what you said, like ha- at least half of those movies, they're all good. And at least half of them, if not more, are great. Yeah. Um, I just fiction. watched, I w- I'll watch Hateful Eight just at night. Like, oh, yeah. If I'm going to I bed, think that just because I like watch. I, have, I like having it on. I feel like that movie is, like, did not quite get the appreciation it deserved. Yeah. Um, Pulp Fiction, just an all-time classic. One of my top top five movies, probably. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, the way... One of my favorite things about Tarantino is just the way that he balances, like, serious topics and uh, violence and mixes it with humor. Um, like, the perfect example of that is probably my favorite scene in Pulp Fiction, um, with the line, I accidentally shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> I mean, just... I love it. It's yeah, this guy gets shot in the face and somehow it's this like really great comedic yeah. moment. Um and I and I love the fact that you know the whole Bonnie situation scene um is just tackling you know something that you don't really see in movies where all the all these movies portray murder and whatnot but you never see, like, yeah, how do they clean the car? Yeah, what like, happens after you shoot right. somebody in the face? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, that doesn't go away, you know? Like, you have to take care of that. And it's a, it's weird that that works as a scene. Because it's like, how how long is that? It's like 20 minutes. That's oh, yeah. just an aside. 
which actually right. just it plays into the plot of the movie. And that's what's so brilliant about Tarantino is that he can just make the most mundane seeming topics into really like riveting to, uh, you know filmmaking. Yeah, and, it, and he just always finds a way. To, like the entertainment value in his movies is just at an all time high. Just they're just entertaining to watch. And he's a guy who writes all of his movies that he directs. Um, in a Tarantino movie, like it's a Tarantino movie, it has a a look and a feel, and you know, you know, you know what it is. Um, not many directors kind of have that that style and presence where you can watch a movie and you know, like, Hey, you know, that's who that is kind of Wes Anderson is something similar where you watch a Wes Anderson movie and you know, it's Wes Anderson. Um, You know, what's funny. I, people, you know, a lot of these directors, people try to emulate and copy off of, but you, I, you don't see many people trying to do Tarantino style movies because they just know they can't do it. He's, he's, that's his. I will like say people, that people will try, but I mean, there's nobody that's yeah. honestly thinks like, oh, I'm a, you know, I just don't see a lot of like Tarantino impersonators, not because he's not somebody worth impersonating, but it's just like, I, I'm not even going to try to to go for that. Like I can't, you just can't pull it off like Tarantino can. Nobody can have that, you know, his, his vision and his tone and his way of viewing things. You know, he's very singular and unique in that way. Yeah. I will say that bad times at the El Royale, which came out last year. Um, it kind of went for that same Tarantino sensibility. Like if I had to compare it to something, you know, I would compare it to Tarantino. It was a good movie. I liked it, but yeah, it wasn't, you know, it of course didn't reach Tarantino levels. Right. Um, but, and I will say that, you know, Tarantino has a new movie coming out this summer called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Margot Robbie. I think this is my most anticipated movie not only of this year, but just in recent years. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited. Adam, what is your, who's your number one director? Number one is the face of his profession, Steven Spielberg. He's just, I mean, he's movies. He is, you know, when you think of a director, you probably, you know, most people think of a guy like Steven Spielberg just because he's kind of an ambassador for the industry. He rarely has scandals or, you know, negative press. And he's made some of the best movies of the past 50 years. Uh, helped revolutionize the blockbuster movie. You know, Jaws was a, some would say, the first blockbuster movie that really launched us into this, you know, summer blockbuster tentpole uh, culture that we have in movies now. Uh and, you know, he's always managed to have these big movies that still feel intimate. Uh, E.T. being a perfect example, and that's a huge movie that did so well. And, it's, you know, it's about aliens and all, you know, but he manages to make it very personal feeling. And that's just a magical, there's something magical about his movies. Um, and then, but then again, you know, he can also go and do the gritty, you know, serious drama movies too, like Schindler's List, which... A lot of people say is you know one of the best movies ever made, Saving Private Ryan, which is the best war movie ever made. Um, he just can do anything he wants, and he he does whatever he wants. He does the things he wants to do, and and maybe that's why he's so good. And Sch- Schindler's List, we, I might add, was made the same year as Jurassic Park, which mm-hmm. I mean, just 
mind blowing that yeah. like two movies that made a huge impact for completely different reasons in the same year, like it's kind of mind boggling. Yeah. Um, I would Jurassic say, Park, another movie that, I mean, that movie you could watch today and it looks just as good as it did yeah. in 93. Yeah, I think one of my favorites of his is Catch Me If You Can. It's just one of the most rewatchable movies. It's just so much fun to watch. Um, and, and most recently, Ready Player One. Remember, I think we both read the book. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing that Spielberg was adapting a movie and just thinking that's just a bad idea like it that book is just gonna be really hard to do yeah um and he did it though i mean it it was entertaining it It was entertaining i like i wouldn't say i love the movie but it's i mean it's really cool and it's really impressive visually and i just don't know that anybody else could really have pulled that off um the way he did yeah but he, he's the face, like I said, face of the face of the profession. In some ways, he's kind of the face of the of the film industry. Yeah. He leads the way. Okay, Adam. Moving on to watching now. This is a segment where we talk about what we've been watching recently. Uh, you just finished the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two. That's right. I did. Yeah, I did. I uh, I started it off and was a little skeptical at the beginning. It's kind of even hard to think of about me being skeptical because I ended up really liking it. Once we got halfway through the season, um, it really clicked into gear. Felt like they kind of found some footing, mm-hmm. and we're hitting all the right all the right notes. They kind of accentuated the strengths of the show, and yeah, I I, I really liked the second season a lot more than I than I thought I would. Yeah, I liked I liked the first season. It was a show that my wife and I. Watch together. We've talked about shows that, you know, sometimes I watch with her that I wouldn't watch by myself. The Crown is a show like that where, you know, I watch it with her and enjoy it fine, but I wouldn't watch it by myself. Um, so I liked season one of Mrs. Maisel. And season two, I, I just kind of fell in love with it. Uh, Rachel Brosnahan is just so good. And I knew that from the very first episode. Like, she's kind of a she was kind of a revelation to me where I'd seen her in... She had a part in House of Cards, which I didn't, you know, I think I watched the first couple of seasons. And then she was also in a show called Manhattan on WGN that nobody really saw. But she wasn't somebody who really caught my eye. Um, But so when I heard she was doing her own show, I was a little bit skeptical. But she is so good and such a drawing point in this show. And in season two in particular, um, the middle episodes, the episodes where they go to uh, the cat skills, yeah, I mean, just delightful. Yeah, like, that's where it really got good. Like before that, it wasn't bad, but once they got yeah. there, you know, they they kind of. It it's funny for a show about a comedian who's like finding her way in the in the comic world. Um, the scenes I usually dislike are the ones where she's trying to do comedy. Now it gets yeah. better. I'll say that by the time you get to the end of season two, it's much better. It seems more natural. Maybe that's just because Rachel Brosnahan herself was learning how to be a comic. But I think that's kind of perfect because, you know, a comic, a person who's just a regular, you know, this is a, a, a 1950s um, housewife who, you know, that gets gets into a relationship trouble and she ends up stumbling into this, you know, comedic act. And so it makes sense that it's awkward at first. But 
that awkwardness was definitely one of the things that's kind of hard to watch. Yeah. So by the end, a lot more comfortable. It seems to be more natural. Um, I the one thing I always say is that whenever uh, they you can tell they're about to start up a, a a comedy act where she gets up on stage or there's some kind of loose microphone somewhere. It feels like a video game transition, <laughs> like when you're going into a cutscene, like a like, cutscene. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, you lose all control. You just gotta <laughs> sit there and watch and just wait for it to be over. But <laughs> it got better. It got better. She's becoming more funny, and the show in general is just just delightful. Honestly, yeah. People may not know when when I mentioned the cat skills. People may not know what I meant. Um, and and I didn't know what this this was either. Either apparently, it's actually a thing. Where um, this this was back in is it take place in the fifties I believe fifties um, yeah where families would go to not even a resort but like a it's like a summer camp and these are rich families and they're going to this summer camp for basically the whole summer and um, apparently my wife told me that this is something that also takes place in um, Dirty Dancing. Yes. Which one of your favorite movies, right? Yeah, just an all timer. Yeah, just an all time. Yeah, just you love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Nobody my mom's baby in a corner. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's funny. I I feel like my mom watched Dirty Dancing just all the time growing up, well, as I was growing up, and I don't know that I've ever actually seen the entire movie, and just bits and pieces. You know, as it was on, and I would leave the room. Um, so you could watch it by yourself in another right because I yeah. wanted to be able to savor it just like yeah. the entire thing I didn't yeah. want to ruin it for myself <laughs> um, but yeah Zachary Levi was a part of the season I thought he was great um, as a love interest and just some of the camera work um, if when the season starts it's, it's almost a little distracting to me because it's kind of like a play but it's just really impressive. There's like the, the, they have a lot of long takes and kind of swooping cameras and, and and it's just a really impressive all around show. Um, I like the, uh, Lenny Bruce character, uh, or the actor. I I think they just have a good chemistry. I kind of wish they'd focus on that even a little bit more, but obviously Lenny Bruce was a real figure. So, uh, it's not like they can just, you know, rewrite history, so to speak. But, um, I thought it was fun. I went back and watched. There's towards the end of the season. There's a there's a Lenny Bruce stand up act that you see, and that's a real. They took that directly from a real act that he did back oh, really? in the day. Yeah, and it's it's word for word, and he does really good with it. Um, you should check out that. I mean, it's it's weird to think of comedians back then because the humor is so different back then as it as it is now. But um, yeah, I like the Lenny Bruce component of the show too. So, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, available on Amazon, the first two seasons. And Adam, what else have you been watching? Uh, I just saw the movie If Beale Street Could Talk, which is that's a uh, That's one I've Jenkins been wanting movie. to get to, but I, I haven't seen yet. Yeah, it's a big, a big Oscar, movie. A big Oscar snub. I, yeah. I thought that would get a Best Picture nomination. Honestly, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that it didn't after watching it. Uh, this is the guy who directed Moonlight from a couple years ago, which... Uh, tragically and, and traumatically beat La La Land uh, at the Oscars. <laughs> I agree. Uh, they they announced La La Land, but it was Moonlight. I'm still uh, so hurting over that. That's the yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of worried you'll never see Moonlight because of that, which yeah. is a shame. Because Moonlight 
was is a fantastic movie. And uh, if Beale Street Could Talk is is in sort of in the same vein uh, in terms of how it feels watching the movie. And that's I found that's in the two movies I've watched of Barry Jenkins, um, he definitely wants you to feel things. Um, and he does such a good job of, do, of, of imparting things without saying anything. Uh, like the, the, the camera work is just, it's beautiful. You know, you, I, one of the things he's kind of picked up is uh, he has these really, it's like a portrait where mm-hmm. the character is looking straight into the camera. Uh, and, you know, you kind of see right into their eyes. And it, it reminds me of this sociological experiment um, where you sit two strangers right in front of each other in silence, and they just have to stare at each other in the eyes for like four minutes. Uh, I actually it, it, did that once. It it wasn't with somebody. It wasn't a stranger. It was a yeah. guy I knew. Um, and we haven't talked since because it was so awkward. Yeah, it, it's awkward, but it's supposed <laughs> to. It's supposed to boost empathy and like yeah, you know. It you, actually, you, yeah. yeah. I remember the first two minutes being awkward, and then the next two minutes we just peered into each other's souls, you know. And yeah, yeah. No joke. That's like that's what the whole point of that experiment, and that's like watching this movie. Um, I'm not really done processing the movie. I saw it pretty recently, and it's just it's the type of movie that I will keep coming back in my mind without me recalling it like on purpose, uh, mm-hmm. and just it keeps getting better and better in my head. Uh, for if you don't know what it's about, it's about um, a, it takes place in the 1970s in Harlem, uh, based on a James Baldwin book. Uh, and it's about a young couple uh, who's falling in love, and he, the, the the male character is is put in jail for uh, what they believe is a wrongful conviction. Uh, and so it's kind of how they how they deal with that um, in that time. So it touches on a lot of stuff. You know, it's touches on race relations and and um, you know it, social justice. And uh, but you know, even though there's those big kind of underlying themes. You know, it's it's also about this this love story, uh, and it's it's just a beautiful movie. Like I said, it's it's downright uh, it's a travesty that it got snubbed by the Oscars. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I was really shocked. I'm excited to see it. Uh, what is your star rating? Uh, I gave it a four point five stars, oh. so pretty high up. That's a, that's a pretty high. It's a pretty good review. I think there's a decent chance we're going to hear about that next week in our top ten movies. But again, there you go. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Okay, Adam, finally it is time for stream time. This is where we each offer up one streaming recommendation of the week, something found on Netflix, Hulu, or Amazon. Adam, what is your stream time pick this week? I am going to go with the show, and uh, I'm going to go with Homecoming, the the show by uh, um, (laughs) what's-his-face. The guy did Mr. Robot. What's his name? Sam uh, Sam Esmail. Sam Esmail. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Homecoming, it's... And the actor from... Uh, and Exactly. The actor yeah. from If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, exactly. who is fantastic in both. Very different roles. In fact, I even forgot that it was the same guy. They look a little bit different. The mm-hmm. characters look a little bit different, but uh, yeah, great actor. Uh, Homecoming, um, it's about a... Julia Roberts is a, is a psychologist or a psychiatrist, who's working in a facility to help veterans coming back from war. And uh, I don't really want to say too much more other than that. Yeah, I don't think it, you it should. Gets, it gets pretty intense. 
It's very intriguing. Yeah. Um, Shorter episodes. You can watch it pretty quick. It's a drama, but the the episodes are 25 to 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. which I loved. I wish more shows would do that. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of tired of all these shows where it's like 100 or an hour and six minutes for each episode. It forces them to really like highlight all the best parts and really get at it. Uh, and yeah, Homecoming. It's the type of show that you can you can go pretty quick through. Like you'll binge it because you'll you'll you know yep. you'll finish one. The, the episodes kind of end open ended. So yeah, let's check it out. So that's a good pick. That's available on Amazon. For my pick, um, so I saw the upside this week, this past week with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Um, and I was going into it, I was kind of worried that it would just be like too schmaltzy, too mm-hmm. sentimental. It kind of yep. had that. I don't like movies that are just too feel good, um, but it wasn't. It it was sentimental, but not too sentimental. It was funny. Cramps, Cranston was really good, obviously, and honestly, Kevin Hart was the one who really surprised me. I'm not a big Kevin Hart fan, but uh, I mean, he did do Kevin Hart things occasionally in this movie. Of course, but, he did. But it was a it was a dramatic performance. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so I was actually pretty impressed. Um, but that movie made me think about another movie about a caretaker, a better movie. And my pick this week is The Fundamentals of Caring on Netflix. Um, I never saw that one. Oh, it's really good. Um, it play. It stars Paul Rudd. He's a caretaker of an 18-year-old boy with muscular dystrophy. Um, I mean, it's really funny. It's heartwarming. And, I, I mean, Paul Rudd is maybe the most likable yeah. actor in Hollywood. How can you not love him? He's he's basically playing himself, which, frankly, that's all he needs to do. Um, but this was a Netflix original in 2016, and it actually made my top ten that year. But um, just an easy watch, um, really funny. Check it out. Um, and if you want to be part of the show, you can use the hashtag StreamTime on Twitter. Tell us your streaming pick for the week, just like at DShelt42 did. He recommended The Punisher on Netflix. He said, I think it may be overlooked if you aren't a big superhero or Marvel fan, but this is nothing This is nothing like the Avengers on the big screen. If you like dark, gritty action, you got to see it. Have you seen any of the uh, Marvel stuff on I ha- Netflix? I haven't, but um, The Punisher is one that I hear about quite a bit. From, from they're, they, The people who love it, like they're pretty yeah. into it, and they're pretty vocal and they they definitely want you to watch it so I've, I've i've heard some good stuff about that one i've seen the first two daredevil seasons and i actually really like them both and the punisher plays a big part in season two um of daredevil it's played by uh john barenthal who's kind of perfectly cast yeah as the punisher but yeah. so if you like that type of thing check out the punisher and I think that is enough screen time for today. Follow us on Twitter at Screen Time Pod. I am at Mike A. Sheets. Adam is at Adagat1. That is A-D-A-G-A-T numeral one. Please subscribe and rate us and review us on iTunes. I've heard that... Five stars only. Are, five stars only. I've heard that if you subs- the subscriptions early on when a, when a podcast is launched are very important. So we appreciate the support. Help us out. Help us out. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week.